scripture reading for this morning is found in the book of Luke, chapter 23, verses 33 through 43. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Tom was asking me prior to the service, why are we preaching or thinking about the crucifixion <laughs> here on Thanksgiving, right before Christmas? You know, I'm not much of a, what is termed a lectionary preacher. You know, it's that three-year cycle of a sign text for each Sunday of the year. But there have been times I've, I've said to myself, this year I'm going to do it. I'm going to preach through the whole lectionary from, just follow it, you know, from the first Sunday, Advent, next week, all the way through to Christ the King Sunday, today, the last Sunday in the church year. Now, I have viewed that effort a bit like running a marathon. Just do it, I thought. Let's just get it done. Wouldn't that be something to, to go all the way through? But I never have. <laughs> oh, I dip into it here and there. Lent, Holy Week, Easter, Pentecost, Advent, of course. We'll do, we'll do it next week and all those following Sundays up to Christmas. But to be honest, it seemed like a failure of sorts to just follow the lead of, of some lectionary committee in Geneva or Lausanne or Oxford, somewhere that has assigned a text for each Sunday of the year, sitting in a dark room somewhere saying, see what I did there? Made him preach on Leviticus again. <laughs> Didn't seem all that reformed to go along with it anyway, this dictated text. What if I sense that I should preach on our eternal hope and it still 
five months from Easter. What do I do then? So I view today as a minor preaching miracle. <laughs> I hope you do too. Hey, he's doing Christ the King Sunday. Would you look at that? He's actually doing it. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Good on you. Not sure why I want to go all Aussie today, but <laughs> textual decisions are, are interesting to me. They're fascinating in a way. If you think about it, here we are at, okay, we'll go along and say this is the end of the church year. Why was it put forth that we should talk about Jesus dying between two thieves today? I would think the end would be more of a, a, a victory, wouldn't you? More glory today. We made it. Remember way last Advent? We made it all the way to here. Wow. But no. We get a text that says when they came to the place called the Skull, Golgotha, they crucified him there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Is that the best that we can hope for as this year comes to a close to be in the company of thieves? I thought I would look up why we are talking about this story today. It, it seems that Christ the King Sunday, it's not that old, less than 100 years, 1925, in between world wars, in the face of growing nationalism and tremendous secularism, Pope Pius. He wanted to remind Christians everywhere that their first allegiance, of course, is to God, rather than to any earthly ruler or, or dictator. And so the Pope instituted this feast day in order to proclaim that Christ indeed is king. He is the head, the ruler over all human institutions countries, polit political entities, cultural phenomenons, and economic give and take. He's head over all of that. The companion text for today is Colossians 1, which reads, He, meaning Jesus, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In everything, He has supremacy. But that might be hard for us to connect to. Because for us, in our day, in our time, this language of kingdom and rulers and royalty, it just never really held much sway for us Utahns, right? I mean, I do watch The Crown on Netflix. Now, I get it a little bit. I follow the royalty from a, a great distance. I know that William and Kate and um, Megan and Harry, I know they seem to be on the outs, and I don't think they're going to be having Thanksgiving. I don't really do Thanksgiving, do they? They're not going to be having Christmas together, I read. The royals, they've got a bit of a riff over there in the great house of Windsor. We follow that a little bit. We get royalty. So this idea of claiming Christ as king, maybe it doesn't really carry the same kind of radical power as it did in those early days of Christianity or even the 1920s. 
Besides, institutional power has never set all that well with uh, Jesus on the cross. As those Roman soldiers hung his depleted and spent body on the cross, they were struck themselves by the irony of a broken man being acclaimed a king. Funny, they thought. Let's bring in the the royal cupbearer. Only it's just a scruffy soldier holding up some sour wine meant for poor peasants. They made a placard for the cross, mocked him with the words, King of the Jews. He just looked like a joke to them, not the ruler of the free world (laughs) or the ruler of all creation. The way God chose to express power and rule through Jesus confused those who were standing at the foot of the cross and even those hanging beside him. One began to get it, but not the other. And it may confuse us still. We have a a kingly lineage, a prophetic expectation of, of who Jesus would be or of what this would be, this Messiah. And now this, a peasant on a cross, is not anywhere near to a King David or any of the others, really, that occupied the throne of Israel. Jesus had stood stood it on its head, this meaning of kingship, the meaning of the kingdom itself. He had celebrated the wrong people. He had warned the wrong people of God's coming judgment. Luke tells us that as Jesus hung there, there were those who were watching. They started to shout at him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Even one of the criminals hanging next to him got in on the act, if you are the Messiah, save yourself and us. If, if you really are the king. Do you know that there were over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that pointed to a a coming king who would reign in glory? Palm Sunday, this would be a good text for Palm Sunday, wouldn't it? Jesus comes royally into the city, fulfilling all that messianic hope. Behold, thy king cometh lowly and riding on a donkey, bringing salvation, for he is just. We'll sing it then. We'll understand the King Jesus. But now? At the very heart of Luke's picture of the cross is this mocking of Jesus as some sort of King of the Jews. Maybe we, like those first religious authorities, Maybe we too sometimes conspire in our own hearts and minds and not really see him as much of a king. Is he really close even to this idea of someone who could rule our lives? So bewildering. The way that God and Jesus chose and still chooses to use power We may wish it were otherwise. We may wish there was a little bit more to this Jesus. More solution to the world's problems. More justice. 
for those who deserve it, more strength to those who need it, and more goodness, more satisfaction for those who toe the line and live with dignity and honor. Where's our king? You know, I've been watching some TV this past two weeks. Not The Crown. Well, we did watch some episodes of The Crown. <laughs> but more than that, we've been watching uh, people in suits at tables of power trying to score points, impeachment hearings. You know, they were just plain boring to me back in 73. <laughs> kind of ruined a whole summer of reruns, as I remember. <laughs> But now I just simply wish the world operated on a different value system. I wish there was more civility, more honesty, more community among the people. I haven't watched all of it. But I haven't seen anyone, really, regardless of party, express much forgiveness or compassion or vulnerability or any kind of expression of a deeper kind of, of strength or understanding in our world, in our time, we're not all that different from those at the foot of the cross. We don't see those traits much as signs of power or leadership or strength. The kinds of leaders we want are those who jump up and down and jump into the fight, those who refuse to give up, to give in. But if I'm honest with myself or us, don't we grieve that reality? We grieve not just because of what it does to us as a nation, but also because of what it does to us as people, as, as disciple or disciples or followers of Jesus. People who long to follow the one who, who chose to express his power, his rule, his strength, his sovereignty in forgiveness, in dying, in giving himself up. In Stuttgart, Germany, 1933, Martin Buber, he held a discussion with a New Testament scholar on why he, a Jew, who admired Jesus, could not accept him. Buber began, he said, to Christians, Jews must seem stubborn as they steadfastly wait for a Messiah to come. Why not acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, he was asked. This is what Buber said. He said, the church rests its faith that the Christ has come and that this is the redemption which God has bestowed on humanity. We, Israel, are not able to believe this, he said. We know more deeply, more truly, that world history has not been turned upside down to its very foundations, that the world is not redeemed. In fact, we sense its unredeemedness, he called it. Of course, Buber's kind of classic statement there was soon backed up by the rise of Hitler and Nazism, putting to rest any doubts about the unredeemedness of the world. How could a true Messiah, a real king, they thought, allow such a world to continue? Jesus, I imagine, would have agreed with Buber to some degree. 
Jesus who said in this world, you will have trouble. He warned of all sorts of impending disasters, that you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But he said, see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things will happen, but, but the end is still to come. If Jesus is going to rule, it's going to be a different kind of empire. It's going to be an empire of the heart, of the mind, and of our faith, and how we live our lives. So the, the year of church it ends here, between two thieves, one who understands and one who doesn't understand. It ends in this paradox of faith that Jesus' power and his reign in our lives and in the world may not put everything to rights. You know, I wasn't going to quote C.S. Lewis. I thought I would leave him alone for a while. <laughs> but he has this great quote. <laughs> I couldn't let it go. He said, why is God landing in, enemy -occupied, in an enemy-occupied world in disguise? and starting a sort of secret society to undermine the devil? Why is he not landing in force, invading it? Is it that he's not strong enough? Well, Christians think he is going to land in force. We do not know when, but we can guess why he is delaying. He wants to give us the chance of joining his side freely. This king we find out in a world of disdain and corruption is a king that prays for forgiveness. We may desire this invading force, but he came with a whole other way. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Kings do not seek to forgive much. Kings right wrongs with power and edicts and armies and consequences. You know, the other morning I stopped by the church office to briefly pick up uh, the laptop computer. And on my way in, I overheard a young dad dropping off two of his kids. And I think I only caught the tail end of the conversation because all I heard was, no more shows, no more snacks. <laughs> That's all I got. And I thought, oh, that'll fix it. <laughs> Good work, Dad. <laughs> the king has spoken. <laughs> no more shows, no more snacks. Well, a minute later, I had the laptop, and I was heading out the door, and he was heading to his car out in the parking lot. And so I just offered up. I said, got them all settled? He says, oh, yeah, for now. <laughs> He gets it. He gets it. Power in this world, it's never final. <laughs> it's no wonder that Jesus goes to this unlikely place, a Roman cross between two thieves. His power was never an edict, but it was always going to be clothed in humility and vulnerability and weakness. His power was always a prayer, it's always forgiveness and love and grace. It's never really quite final for now. Someday, yes, but not for now. 
This king, he wants to give us this chance of joining his side freely. So for now, we just have a big if that we've got to live with. If you are the king, what do you think? A king. What sort of king? Is this the kind of king we want? Here's where the year ends for me. It's with that great unknown, that great question mark before us. If you are the king. Jesus seemed to be a sinless friend of sinners to the very end. And I wonder if I can live in that sort of kingdom. With his dying breath, he pardons a thief who would never have the opportunity to grow up in his faith and to prove himself worthy of redemption. At the very end, Jesus responds only with grace. Today you'll be with me in paradise we say, well, that's not really how it works, Jesus. You know, he has to go to Sunday school at least, doesn't he? <laughs> this is the same Lord who, when asked about the wheat and the weeds all growing together to some eventual harvest, he asked if the laborers you know, should not be sent out into the fields to, to kind of separate it out, get rid of those weeds, let the wheat really thrive, and Jesus said, nah, just let them all grow together. We'll sort it out at the harvest later on. It's such a conundrum, isn't it? A thief on the cross. You'll be with me in paradise? Come on. What sort of king is this? He's like a father taking away shows and snacks, (laughs) but never removing ultimate love. He's the sinless friend of sinners. At the end, we're left with this unique but different power of this king who could amazingly blend a a graciousness towards sinners with an undeniable hostility towards the sin. How does he do that? How do you pull that off? It's always going to be a challenge. And it's always going to be the mission of the church itself to find something to love in every person, to be at home among the homeless, to be wise as serpent yet gentle as doves, to not settle for our faith, to be isolated from those who would never show up on a Sunday morning. I wonder here at the end of the year, We look at Jesus here, a king on a cross. How far have we come from the divine balance that he sets for us? The ruler of all creation, yet the friend of all sinners. I do like this quote from Philip Yancey. (laughs) He said, in Jesus, not only do we have a window to God, we have a mirror of ourselves, a reflection of what God had in mind when he created this poor, bare, forked animal. Human beings were, after all, created in the image of God. Jesus reveals what that image should look like. That's 
prepared the sermon before we went to see a beautiful day in the neighborhood on Friday afternoon. And as I was rereading my sermon this morning, I thought, oh, that should be in the sermon. <laughs> so I'll just say this, go see it. Go see this movie about Fred Rogers. He is the image of Christ on earth today. Not that he was a saint, as his wife would say in the movie. He just tried really hard to follow Jesus. We're called to this image. This image where there is often cruel rejection and heartache. There's abuse and betrayal and pain. The, the deepest pain that the world could devise. Iron spikes pounded through muscle and tendon and bone. He's the king of all humanity. Showing what God's image in a human being is to look like. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He showed who we were meant to be, and maybe this is the best place ever to end the year for us with a restored image of who we were really meant to be. Martin Luther King Jr., a couple of months before he died in Memphis, was in the front of his uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church there. And he said how he would like to be remembered. And in doing so, he zeroed in on this ultimate question that we're thinking of today, is if Jesus is the king. What does that mean, he asked. If Christ is ruler over our lives, then my Nobel Peace Prize is less important than my trying to feed the hungry. If Christ is king, he said in that beautiful voice, then my invitations to the White House are less important than that I visited those in prison. If Christ is Lord, then my being Times Person of the Year is less important than that I tried to live extravagantly love extravagantly, dangerously with all my being. If, if Christ is king, something happens. Our hearts have a new ruler. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, may we be people made in your image, made in the image of Christ himself, our King, our Messiah, our ruler, Lord of all creation, the one who holds supremacy even over our hearts and our will. In him we pray. Amen.